So I typically ask this question, how many of you are not done Christmas shopping yet? Raise your hands really high so we can look around. How many of you had not started your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Oh, wow, we're really judging you. Okay. <clears throat> so, yep, get busy with that, guys. Five days, five days, four days, right? Okay, how many of you, I have a, a question for you. I didn't do this first service, so I was just thinking about it. How many of you have ever received a gift for Christmas and you're like, I have no idea what this gift is. When you open it, you're like, I have no idea what this gift is or I have no idea what to do with it. Raise your hand. If you've ever received a gift, you've had no idea what it is and you had no idea what to do with it. Raise them really high. Okay, come on. There's got to be more people. All right, okay. How many of you have ever received a gift and you're like, I have no idea what it is, no idea what to do with it. But when you, but after someone explained, you're like, oh, this is incredible. This is an amazing gift. Has that ever happened? Christine Powers? Okay, what was it? Tell us about it here. What was it? Oh, a scalpel massager. All right, okay, all right. Is it like one of those finger things? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you ever, those are amazing. Yeah, right, okay. Who else? You've gotten a gift and you had no idea, but afterwards you're like, oh, this is incredible. Anybody? Anybody? Don was over here. You guys get a gift over here? Kelly? Kelly, okay, no, no gift. All right, who's, anybody else? Come on now, somebody else, nobody else has gotten a gift. Nobody? I'm going to make you guys wait. I'm going to make you wait. Okay, all right. Sometimes it happens. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, what was it? She felt feet inside of a garbage bag. Okay, and was it an amazing, it was a pheasant? A, a live pheasant? <laughs> oh, a stuffed, oh, a stuffed pheasant. Okay, that is creepy. That's, <clears throat> that's really weird. Okay, that's not what I was thinking. <clears throat> but it was probably amazing, right? <clears throat> Who got you that gift, that odd gift? A random person. All right, well, we won't talk about it. Okay. <clears throat> Sometimes that happens, right? Now, you know, I, I was thinking this year for Christmas, you know, God laid this, this I, I believe, a series on our hearts about things that we exchange for Christmas. You know, we exchange our worry for his peace. Um, you know, we exchange our grief for his joy in our life. Well, this week we're going to talk about healing, the gift of healing that God wants to give us. You know, it's probably most of you in this room, you know, um, believe that Jesus Christ came. You know why we're here. You know, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, most of you probably understand that. Probably a lot of you watching that know that Christmas is, you know, not about, you know, whatever snowmen and Rudolph and blah, blah, blah. But Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. We, we know that. But the question is, is well, why? What do we do with this gift of Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus Christ come? How am I supposed to respond, you know, what am I supposed to do with this gift of Jesus Christ? And there's three things, make it really easy for you. There's three things on why Jesus Christ came, okay? Three Ps, you know, to alliterate. Um, and you can just say this. Um, everybody say, Jesus Christ came to preach. Preach. That was really weak. Jesus Christ came to what? Preach. He came to preach. Now, we'll talk about what he came to preach. But he came to preach. He came to provide. Everybody say, Provide provide. He came to preach. 
He came to provide, and he came to proclaim. I couldn't think of a better one, but proclaim. Okay, everybody say proclaim. Proclaim. Okay, Jesus came for three reasons. What's reason one? Preach. What's reason two? What's reason three? Proclaim. Proclaim. Okay, now we'll talk about what each one of those means. So the passage that I thought about that I want to share with you this morning uh, comes from the New Testament book, the book of Luke, the letter of Luke. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus is going back to his hometown. He's going back to, the, to Nazareth. He's going back to the local place of worship where he would go on a regular basis to worship. Um, he's going to the synagogue, and, he's, and he begins to, to preach. And he's kind of his first public preaching message. Now, he's spoken a lot prior to this, but in particular, this is his first public message that he preaches. It's his first sermon, if you will. And he's given a scroll, and he's supposed to stand up, and he's supposed to read from the scroll. And he's going to read from an Old Testament, right? right? We all know the Old Testament is about the life before Jesus Christ. Up until Jesus Christ is before, his, before his, his physical birth is the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Isaiah, and he writes this book, this letter. And there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61, and it's going to tell about the coming Messiah and what the coming Messiah would do. Um, and so Jesus begins to read this Old Testament uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And we have the words um, in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus would read from. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And this is the Living Bible, so it's a little bit more of a paraphrase. So but I like the way that um, it was written and, and put in this paraphrase. So this is what Jesus read and what he said about his mission, why he came, what you're supposed to do with this gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the following, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So we're thinking, well, I'm not poor, so this must not apply to me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to announce that captives shall be released and the blind shall see that the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors and that God is ready to give blessing to all who come to him. What did Jesus come to do? What are we supposed to do with this gift of Jesus Christ? We believe he came. What are we supposed to do? Number one, these are starting your fill-ins here. Jesus Christ came to preach the message of the way to have spiritual life. Jesus came to preach the message of the way to have spiritual life. Spiritual life is a relationship with God. You all know that um, that we all are born, not only are we born physically, but we're all born with the Spirit. Whether you follow Jesus Christ or you don't follow Jesus Christ, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you have a Spirit. But the Bible talks about some of us are spiritually dead. And to be spiritually dead does not mean to be devoid of a spirit. You have a spirit. Well, what does it mean to be spiritually alive? Because the Bible talks about being spiritually alive. Well, to be spiritually alive is a person whose spirit is in relationship with God. That means, that's what it means to be born again, that you have spiritual life. You're in spiritual relationship with God the Father. Jesus came to preach the message of the way to have spiritual life, to not be spiritually dead, is to have a relationship with God. Again, Luke 4.18 says, He has anointed me to preach the good news, right, that you can have forgiveness of sins, that he came and provided and paid a way and provided a way for us to have spiritual life. 
that our relationship with God could be restored, that we can have a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And, he, and, and it says that he came to preach this good news to the poor. Now, Jesus was concerned about people who were financially poor. He t- scripture talks a lot about that, and, and he talks about that. And some theologians would even say that Jesus was poor himself. Um, but when it says that, when Jesus reads those words, it says he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He's not talking about those who are necessarily financially poor. Well, what does it mean? If he came to preach the good news to the poor, you have to ask, is that me? Am I poor? And in what way? What does it look like to be poor? I find this really interesting. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus is, again, speaking to a large crowd on a hillside. And he says something just super, I think, super weird. I'm just going to be honest with you. He says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. We see that word poor again. Jesus said, I came to preach to the poor. The poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Are you poor in spirit? Because that's who Jesus came to preach to. The kingdom of heavens are the poor in spirit. Is that you? He came to preach to the poor. Are you poor in spirit? A couple other passages or a couple other paraphrases of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. These are a couple other translations. They're more paraphrases again. It says two different ones. It says, great blessings belong to those who know they are spiritually in need. God's kingdom belongs to them. Now, most of you here this morning, probably at one point, you thought, oh, I'm spiritually in need. That's why I'm showing up at church. Because I know there's something missing in my life. Some of you are here just, or you're watching just because someone dragged you or begged you, whatever. So you're, you're just kind of just along for the ride. You don't really recognize there's something spiritually in need. You think, you think you have your life pretty well together. Like, oh yeah, I've got my stuff together. I'm not really in need. I'm just here because someone dragged me here. Some of you are here and you're like, well, yeah, you know, at one point in time, I was spiritually in need. That's why at one point in time I asked Christ into my life because I knew I wasn't spiritually alive. I knew I was disconnected from God. I was spiritually in need, but now I'm, I'm good to go. And so you miss out on a lot of what Scripture has to say because you think you have all of your stuff together. You're like, oh, I used to be not in need, but I'm really not in need anymore. I'm not really spiritually poor. So it's pretty easy to get lukewarm as a Christian when you're like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not very needy. Matter of fact, who, does anybody like to be known as needy? Anybody in here? No one of us, you know, none of us like to be known as needy. But that's who Jesus Christ came for. I see some of you poking your neighbor saying, you're needy. <laughs> But that's, honestly, guys, that's called, you know, that's, that's being humble. God, I am so needy. My life is incomplete. Even though, Jesus, I've accepted you, I'm following you, you're in my heart, in my life. But, God, there's so much more of a work that you need to do in my life. 
Another translation or paraphrase puts it like this. Humble men are very fortunate for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. That word poor literally means um, having nothing to offer on one's own accord. Um, Another theological dictionary said, it's a picture of a cringing beggar, absolutely dependent on others for survival. Jesus describes those who are spiritually poor are people who are aware of their neediness and incompleteness. Those are the poor in spirit. Like, I'm needy. I'm incomplete. It might be because of of sin in my life, struggles I have in my life, immaturities that I have in my life. I just, I know, God, I need more. I know you're working in my life, and I'm, I'm humbled by you, God. Why are the poor in spirit? Jesus said the poor in spirit are blessed. Why are they blessed? Well, people who are poor in spirit, they're super motivated. They're the ones that are motivated when you're poor in spirit, you know, to look beyond yourself to God. It's hard to be motivated if I don't see myself as needy and incomplete and God's still working and moving in my life. I think, I, oh, my life, I have everything together. Well, then you're not super motivated. One author put it like this. I really like this. He said, you are blessed when you reach into your spiritual pockets and you turn them inside out and all you've got are little lint balls. You will never really be happy in life until you realize you're spiritually busted and you need God in your life. Does that ever stop? Do you ever get to that point where you think, oh, I just have all my stuff together and I really don't you know, I really don't need God. Or I needed him at one point, but now, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. Psalm 69, 32 says, The humble shall see their God at work for them. The spiritually poor, the needy, no wonder they will be so glad. All who seek for God shall live in joy. It's okay, guys. Matter of fact, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be spiritually poor. It's a good thing to be hungry for more of God in your life and to say that you're needy. Second thing, Jesus didn't just come to preach good news to the poor, but Jesus came to provide healing for broken lives. Now, again, it's so easy to dismiss this passage. Luke 4.18 says that he sent me, Jesus speaking again, he says, God sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And it's easy to dismiss this passage again and say, you know what, again, I I feel like I have my life together. You know, there's really, you know, I'm physically fit, you know, um, I I don't know, brokenhearted? Are we talking about broken physically? I mean, broken heart, it seems a little bit more. What does it mean when it says that Jesus came to provide healing for broken lives or the brokenhearted? That word brokenhearted in Hebrew, it's an uh, um, a Old Testament Hebrew word. And it looks like shabar, but it's actually shavar. That B sounds like a V, shavar. 
A brokenhearted person literally means to be maimed or crippled or wrecked to shatter one's strength. Are there circumstances in your life right now it says that Jesus came to provide healing for the maimed, crippled, wrecked, whose strength has been shattered. And some of you are just in, are in difficult situations where your body is just falling apart. There are probably people in here in this room are watching. There are probably things going on within you physically that nobody else even knows about that just feels overwhelming to you. Undoubtedly, there are people here that emotionally you're in relationships or you've had a relationship that's been broken. You have a marriage that's falling apart and you just feel crippled right now. And Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted, can we go back one more time, Jesse? It says, a state of being wounded or crushed by a loss, by person, hurt, injustice, or circumstance in your life. It's like, oh, I have this gift of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that he came. What am I supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to do with you, Jesus? Why did you come for me? Why did you come? Since he came to preach to those who are spiritually poor, those who are hungry, he came to meet that need in your life. Why did Jesus come? Why do I think about Christmas and why he came? Why do I celebrate? Well, he came to heal the brokenhearted. That word heal, again, means to bind up or to set right as in a broken bone. Is there an area of your life this morning that just needs healing? When a person is suffering because of a physical, emotional, or relational injury, you're brokenhearted. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. So you can call upon Jesus Christ this morning. Say, Jesus, your word says that you will heal the brokenhearted. What did Jesus come to do? He didn't just come to preach good news to the poor in spirit, to those who are humble, desperate, and needy. But Jesus came to provide healing to those who are hurting and brokenhearted. Finally, Jesus came to proclaim freedom, freedom from the mistakes that weigh us down. To set us free from those mistakes that have held us back and that weigh us down. Some of you are just under so much guilt or condemnation right now from your past and from the mistakes that you've made. And you're just even sitting here, just I don't even want to make eye contact with you guys because it's like, oh, it just feels overwhelming. She said, I've come to set you free from that. Listen again how he says it in Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus says, I came to announce that captives shall be released, the blind shall see, the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors, and that God is ready to give blessing to all who come to him. Jesus offers us freedom 
from the things of the world which hold us back. Jesus has come to bring freedom from the things that hold us captive, from the, the things that blind us and rob us from all that God has. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, you know, I just, the, the image just came to my mind of even of he's come to set us free from relationships that are toxic and that are in our lives right now that are just holding us back from our relationship with him. He's come to set us free. You know, um, at the end of this verse, um, in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus stops there where we have it, where I've got it listed for you. But if you go back to the Old Testament, and if you look at Isaiah, Isaiah actually goes on, the prophecy says, you know, says, hey, the year of, our fa- of the Lord's favor has, is now, but there's going to come a time of judgment. You know, and Jesus doesn't, he doesn't keep on, re- he could have kept on reading, and he doesn't keep on reading in Isaiah when he quotes this Old Testament passage. Isn't that kind of weird? It's like, oh, well, why, is it, why doesn't Jesus keep on reading? Because he wants you and I to know that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time. There's going to come a time again when Jesus will come again and we'll have to stand before him and those who know him and those who don't. There's going to come a time of judgment where as a Christ follower you'll receive the rewards that God has for you. And if you're not a Christ follower, there's going to be this judgment of, you know, of separation, eternal separation from God. But he's like, that's not the time now. Jesus doesn't even go on. He doesn't even say that. He says, now's the time of God's favor in your life. Now's the time of favor. How are you going to respond to this preaching and this provision and this proclamation of God's favor in your life? I want to give you, because we've talked, we're talking about healing in particular, I want to give you six things like, okay, Pastor Red, you said that God's, you know, sent Jesus to provide for healing for me. Well, how do I pray for healing? Because like this is like, you know, this is either for you or it's for somebody else that you know in your life. Like, you know, what do I do with this? How do I pray for healing? I want to give you six observations real quick about how to pray for healing, okay? And sometimes it might be physical. Sometimes it might be emotional. Sometimes it might be relational. Remember the brokenhearted, those who feel like their strength has been zapped from them. You feel crippled. How do you pray for healing? Six observations. Number one, remember that Jesus wants me to ask him for healing. It's in asking that I learn to trust him. There's over 20 different times in the New Testament alone, just in the New Testament, that we're told to go before the Father and to ask him for healing in our lives. John 16, 23 and 24, multiple times in this passage alone, Jesus says this, And that day you no longer ask me anything, Truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Inner joy will be complete. It's an asking that we learn to trust Jesus Christ. When's the last time you asked God to bring healing in your life? Secondly, in that same passage, we're told to remember to ask in Jesus' name. You know, you don't go in your own name. or It's not, you know, Jesus, do you ever notice that in the New Testament, when there, and oftentimes when Jesus heals, it has nothing to do with how good or how, you know, how good of a person is. Sometimes we're like, oh, you know what? I'm such a 
you know, bad person. I can never ask Jesus for anything. I can never ask him to bring healing in my life or, you know, I don't deserve this. But so often in the New Testament, we see people that get healed by Jesus and they're not necessarily good people at all. Jesus is that, you know, we get to go to the Father in his name. It's not because of how good you are, but it's because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. I wrote on there, it's on the basis of what Jesus paid on the cross. You can go to the Father and you can ask him. And you don't, you don't have to ask him because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. A third observation when you pray for healing is this, to keep on praying, keep on asking till God tells you to stop. Oh, I'm supposed to pray for healing? Yup. I'm supposed to trust God, yep. I'm supposed to ask, right, yep. And I keep on praying until God tells me to stop praying about that. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. He's talking to his disciples. He told his parable to show them that they should not, that they should always pray and never give up. When do I stop praying for healing? When do I stop praying for my marriage? When do I stop praying for that relationship to be restored? When do I stop praying for someone to be physically healed in their body? When God tells you to stop. That's when you stop. Number four, three more things. Number four, when I'm praying for healing, Scripture tells me to ask other people to pray with me and to pray for me. There's this humbling thing when I have to be transparent and relational and open up and, and I ask, have to ask somebody else in my life, hey, I've got this need. I'm needy. I'm incomplete. My life is falling apart. My body's falling apart. See, there's this humility thing. But I was like, oh, no, no. You know, are you sick? Call for the elders. Call for the spiritual leaders in your life. It might not be necessarily, it might be a life group leader that you have. It might just be someone in a position of spiritual leadership or authority that you respect. Call for them to come over and to pray for you. There's this transparency, this honesty, this humility. You ask someone else, will you pray with me about this issue in my life? That takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of, Poverty, right? It takes being poor in spirit to go to somebody else. Because oftentimes what keeps me from asking somebody to pray for me, I don't know about you guys, just be honest, but it's pride. Like, I don't want you to know my business. I really don't want you to know about the struggles that I'm having in my life. But it's what Scripture tells us to do. How do you pray for healing? You ask other people to pray for you. Number five. How do you pray for healing? You believe and expect an answer. God, I believe that you are going to hear me. And God, I believe that you're going to answer me. Psalm 17:6, the psalmist David said, I am praying to you, God, because I know you will answer. Bend down and listen as I pray. God, I believe that you are going to hear me and I'm expecting that you're going to answer me. Now, we've taught you before, right? God either says yes or he says no. 
Or he says, not yet. Right? Wait. But remember how we read a couple month, a month or so ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pray to get delivered from, you know, they say, oh, king, you know, you're going to throw us in this fiery furnace, and we know our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. It's like we have to have that attitude, like, God, I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to believe and expect that you're going to answer me. I don't know exactly what that answer is going to be, but God, I know you're listening. I know you are. And I know you're listening not because of anything that I've done, because I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just incomplete and needy, and I got a lot of issues. But I know you're listening because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done. So I get to pray. I get to ask you. I get to trust you. And I get to trust your response, whatever, because God, you know best. God, you know best. The last thing, how do you pray for healing? You ask for a miracle. That's kind of what I already said, but you ask for a miracle, but you seek God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Notice it doesn't say that he's going to give you everything you want. I mean, aren't you glad that there have been things that you've prayed for that God didn't answer you the way that you wanted when you prayed those? Anybody else? There's like one amen in here. Right? It says that he'll give you everything that you need. And sometimes, I mean, I think I know better than God. Don't you? I find myself getting angry. God, why didn't you do this? Am I going to trust him or not? says that he'll give us everything that we need. God, I'm going to pray for a miracle, but above all else, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to seek you, and not just because of what you give me, but I'm going to seek you above everything else. So I'm not going to get bitter when you don't answer me when and how I expect you to answer me. I believe you will, but I'm going to trust you. Jesus came to preach. He came to provide. And he came to proclaim. When you think about Christmas, those three words, I hope that all throughout this coming week, they'll ring in your ears and in your heart.